Welcome back to Drew the Catholic. Today, it's just me, and I wanted to talk about tradition. As a Protestant, there was almost no word dirtier than tradition. This word, of all the words in religious vocabulary, had an exclusively negative connotation. It's easy to see why, given the tradition we were handed, one where works of any kind were suspicious, especially if it has to do with faith, a tradition where sola scriptura becomes more like solo scriptura in the minds of the common believer. A tradition where Jesus' scathing remarks to the Pharisees are the clearest proof that nothing but the text of scripture may inform our beliefs. In fact, the idea of tradition in this context was equally as disgusting as the idea of religion. You can imagine my surprise then upon reading the scriptures and searching and studying them and finding that According to the Bible, no such condemnation of tradition occurs. Does Jesus condemn the practices of the Pharisees? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Usually, Jesus condemns an outward tradition of the Pharisees that they use to look holy and maybe even to safeguard holiness while undercutting the precepts of the clear commandment in practice. In the Gospels, we hear Jesus condemn them for dedicating their property to God a seemingly holy act of devotion, which they used to effectively embezzle funds that they ought to use to care for their parents, which is the fourth commandment. In fact, the Pharisees, as a Jewish sect, were known for following the traditions of their elders, who sought to beckon the Messiah by calling all of Israel to be a holy nation of priests. Now, to be fair, God himself asks Israel this in the Old Testament. He gives them a law. But the Pharisees, to ensure their living as a priestly people, examined the temple laws concerning Levitical priests and contextualized those to the lives of the laity, the common person, so that they could, in a way, participate in the laws concerning priests. This is where their unique rituals, like hand-washing, which Jesus blatantly disobeys, comes from. So, what's happening here? The Pharisees, arguably with good intentions are making mandatory a beautiful ritual which perhaps not all people are called to or are capable of doing. So, do man-made traditions exist? Yes, even in Judaism they do, even in Catholicism they do. However, Jesus isn't condemning these rituals at their heart. Time and time again, what he condemns is the requirement of those developments on all people when that's not done by a proper authority. So then, what do we say about tradition as a whole, or as a concept? What is tradition, even? Quite literally, the definition of tradition is, quote, the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. So, any item of custom, belief, fact, or culture that's passed down from generation to generation is, by definition, a tradition. This word comes from the Latin word traditio, which means literally to hand down. Its root word means to deliver. More importantly, in the context of Jewish religion, they discuss their faith, their laws, the Torah, as their tradition, with a capital T. See, they believe that Moses handed down everything God told him on Sinai, some of it written by words, some of it by mouth. In Numbers 11, we see that Moses ordains elders who are given, quote, the same spirit as Moses, end quote, to judge laws as he judges and carry forth the capital T tradition. 
tradition in this sense is not merely textual transmission, though it is that. It's the handing on of God's entire way of life for his people. And for the Jews, that transmission, the total sum of it, was sacred and authoritative. To them, God gave them a written law, but Jews also professed there to be an oral law passed down from authority to authority through the laying on of hands called Samika. And this encompassed a living authority that had the power to make judgments over Israel in each day and each age. In the great restoration of Ezra and Nehemiah, we see a body like this reassemble. In times past, it had been a priestly body headed by the high priest and sometimes contained prophets, elders, judges, kings, and the like. But from here, the Sanhedrin, which literally means sitting together or council, uh, takes this role. In the second temple period, they arise, and its assembly, the Sanhedrin, declares authoritatively the precepts of the capital T tradition to Israel. The Sanhedrin is composed of priests and elders, 70 of them, plus one sitting in the seat of Moses, who they declared to be the prince, or in their words, the Nisa, of the Sanhedrin. Now, what's odd is Jesus himself affirms their authority. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, he says that, quote, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. But not the works that they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Again, Judaism itself professes a belief in divine tradition, transmitted through the written word, oral tradition, and upheld by a living authority. Jesus' issue is not the structure of this authority or the transmission of this great tradition in its two parts. Rather, his problem is when those who claim authority don't practice what they preach or when they add practices, pious practices, that circumvent the actual law or when they bind people to a pious practice that's not included in that great tradition, oral or written. Now then, what can we say about the New Testament? As a Protestant, I would have said, no, it's different than that. Now we have a text. Maybe it could be called our tradition, sure. But I would not have said that there's an oral component or a living authority. But what does the text itself say? St. Paul himself writes to the Thessalonians, urging them to, quote, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us either by word of mouth or by our letter. This unanimously confirms the same source of content as Judaism, oral and written tradition. But what about a living authority to uphold it? Well, certainly we could discuss the apostles, the passing down of apostolic authority, and the parallels between Jesus's interactions with the apostles and the establishment of the Levitical priesthood. Perhaps we'll talk about all that in another episode, but All this to say that the idea that tradition is bad and corrupting at worst and useless at best is nothing more than a cultural issue of ours, not a reflection of the New Testament's teaching. See, our culture is one that is obsessed with text. We firmly believe that an individual's self-proclaimed words mean nothing, but text is extra personal. It's beyond the self and its inconsistencies and oddities text is more trustworthy for us. For the ancient world, this was the opposite. 
they valued the spoken word. They valued rote memorization, exact memorization. And they took no issue with oral transmission. And in fact, they saw no competition between the oral tradition and the written tradition in their authority. In fact, the ancient world, the Jews, saw oral transmission as preferable because not only could you examine the contents of what is said, but you could examine the source of who said it and their lineage to the source of the original transmission. If someone claimed to speak the great tradition but had no clear connection to the apostles, or in Judaism's case, Moses and the elders, then one could easily determine that their words were novel, they were innovative. Moreover, if you knew for certain one person's tradition and lineage was valid, you could compare their teaching to another person claiming that same authority. Do those two know each other? Does the contents of their teaching match? If yes, then it's like a key. It confirms the authority and validity of their words. But if no, you ought to listen with caution. It's no different than today in a rudimentary sense. How do we determine if a product or business or restaurant is worthy of our time? We examine the words of those we trust and know. We take their word for it on the basis of their character. How do we examine new people that we meet? For better or worse, we often ask those we know and trust their opinions of the new person that we're meeting. You see, socially, perhaps anthropologically, tradition is a human necessity. After all, are we really so rational all the time that we can be pure formalists in our approach to text and maintain perfect objectivity free from the guidance of those who came before us? No, it's quite impossible. We approach the world around us through the lens that's passed on to us. This is the words of our parents, our teachers, our faith leaders, our cultural narrative at large. We're distinctively shaped by that which is handed on to us. In fact, the rejection of tradition as a faith tenant of Protestantism is in and of itself a tradition. It's one that arose from the minds of men and has been faithfully passed on, a little bit of snark when I say that, from generation to generation. Just as the rejection of religion so it said, in favor of a pure, quote, relationship untethered by any form of ritual, that's also a tradition. This one is formulated by mid-20th century evangelical preachers to combat the dead rituals of fading mainline denominations. In fact, the evangelical format of worship is a tradition handed down from the American Great Awakening tent revivals, which sought to build a common faith life in America amidst diverse seas of liturgical practice in the various mainline denominations in our country at that time. The five solas of the Reformation are an extra-biblical tradition assumed from an interpretation of men in the 16th century and faithfully passed down through the ages. See, Tradition is the belief that the world is round because of mathematics. It's the belief that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. It's the practice of celebrating Independence Day on July 4th. It's the practice of using a calendar system of our ancestors by which we even know when July 4th is. The handing down of knowledge, culture, belief, and truly and properly ourselves to the next generation is an inescapable and essential part of our humanity. As a sociological phenomenon, we must then admit that tradition as a matter of occurrence is not always infallible, in fact most of the time not. 
But why then are we surprised that God, in the establishment, transmission, and upkeep of all his covenants with us, uses tradition? In the fullest sense, something he made so integral to our humanity as the means of his own divine, infallible self-communication to mankind from generation to generation. Of the written word, it's so, so as communities we may receive it directly from the pen of those in the past. And of the oral word, it's so, so we may receive it from those present now, handed to them from an unbroken lineage. Of the living authority, so that those who are rightly appointed may, in surveying that which is written and orally transmitted, instruct us on what to do now. And so upon further thought, we should be inclined to say this. Tradition, in the sense I speak of now, is not an oddity of mankind alone. In fact, it's a feature of the divine trinity. The Father from eternity communicates his love through the Son. And the Son is himself the eternal word through whom all things are created and sustained. God's own inner life is self-communicative. It hands on what it is. Love. And this love forms all that is. See, our own anthropological tendency towards tradition is a feature of the divine imprint in us. A handing on of itself. The reality is this. We cannot escape tradition. In the high sense or in the low sense. The question then becomes, which tradition? God's or man's? Where is this great tradition sustained? According to the church fathers, the saints, and yes, even the scriptures, this tradition comes to us by God's own promise through his assembly, his ecclesia, the church, that church, which is most ancient known by the apostles and whose declarations do not stray to the left or to the right of what the apostles themselves committed to those they installed in their place. That tradition, capital T, is upheld by the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of Jesus Christ, whose bishops comprise the assembly, which is headed by the Prince of the Apostles, the successor of St. Peter.